Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Today I'm supposed to start on Think Thanks, and I was going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's go ahead and do that real quick, man, and then see the trouble we run into before we read too far in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, tells us to do three things. You ready? Rejoice always. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Everybody say pray. Pray. Without ceasing would be good. There are things that I think we as believers might need to put pause on and cease for just a bit and maybe replace it with prayer. Verse 18, and everything give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, on a day we're wondering, I hear more people reading, writing, saying, I have gotten more messages just this morning, let alone last night and all week long. But again this morning, just this overflow of stuff. And I'm irritated because we've been cheated. I'm going to keep saying that until I get you to the point. So as we begin this think thanks thing, by the way, let me talk to you and remind you again what we've studied here. Because for years, this series was a recurring series. The word thanks comes from the, the Greek term eucharisteo. It's important that we didn't. Everybody, there's ongoing jokes for 30 years about Pastor Tom and his fascination with the original languages. But Amanda, if you could pop that up there. There's the word eucharisteo. Everybody see that? Now, the neat thing about it is there's an, there's a, uh, if you were to look at it in a hyphenated fashion, uh, you can see it this way, eucharisteo. And right in the middle of that word, this translated thanks or thanksgiving, is this C-H-R-I-S. Now, we spent a year studying this concept from Scripture about seven years ago. A, not a year, nine months. It was a long time. People were wondering if I was ever going to stop talking about what this word is translated grace. Grace. You see, because grace, we distilled from the 180 or so times it's used in the New Testament. Grace is the pushback of God. Romans chapter 5 says that where sin abounds, the grace of God overbounds or pushes back. Where sin wants to pleonazo is the word. Squeeze in. How many know sin wants to squeeze the life out of your life? Say amen. That's true. Okay. I know you're hesitant about where you're going to say amen today because you're uncertain about what path I'm leading you on about the whole cheating thing. We'll, we'll get to that. Fear not. But then comes grace pushing back against all form and matter of sin at work in this world. Okay. Whether that's fear, unforgiveness, brokenness, hurt, pain, suffering, wrongs done to me, with an ongoing list of things that comprise and that define the force of sin. Grace pushed back against that. So why are we a thankful people this morning? Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for the nation we live in. We're thankful for the opportunity to worship. We're thankful for that person. Matter of fact, I am praying right now. I'm not being cute or trite, but I want you to look sincerely at the person next to you and say, I'm thankful for you. Now, why is that important that we're thankful? Because in the middle of thank, the word, this word, I think there's a powerful point of truth that's unleashed. 
right in the center of the word translated thanks or thanksgiving is the word grace. And please hear me. There's never an act of thanks or thanksgiving where grace is not released into the moment. Never. So go home and practice for these next 30 days. We're going through Thanksgiving. Start in your home with your spouse. Take that card for 30 days, and as you think of something to give thanks for, make sure the unwritten notion is to find your spouse every day for 30 days and substantively say, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to God for you. And you watch how grace begins to push back other concerns. See, we don't believe our stuff. I said that last week. Jesus wrote and said, the unrighteous of the world work their manipulative, shrewd, broken system, but the sons of light won't work the system that I brought to them. We need to work the system of righteousness that God has brought us, okay? We've got several places to go because my heart is full with a bunch of scripture because I'm asking God to reset our GPS, spiritual GPS or compass bearing here this morning. So, <clears throat> but watch how this passage continues. And I stumbled onto it out of a, a discussion with Pastor Matt about another topic altogether. Okay, here we go. In everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Watch, ongoing, don't quench the spirit. So we begin to ask how being thankful informs these next verses of scripture. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but, everybody say, but. No, say it loudly, but. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Don't despise, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything. Can I tell you why I'm angry and feeling cheated this morning? I will. Frankly, you can go, I have a copy of it if you'd like it. Earlier in the week, I wrote a Facebook post because I didn't write all the reason why. But I became sick and tired with the guilt and fear manipulation by would-be prophets saying, if you evangelicals would have voted for the right thing and the right person and gotten it done, God's will would have been performed. Please hear me. We just sang a song that speaks the scripture that tells the truth. God's not flinched. Every crown is going to be thrown at his feet. His crown, his ability to carry out his will on this planet has not been lost because this election went one way or the other. I've never said this publicly, but I want you to understand my point of reference, lest you think I'm coming from a political basis or platform. I told you a couple of weeks ago how I was going to vote in support of the, the, the greatest injustice of 61 million aborted babies who never had the chance to breathe, never had the chance to speak. And so I am going to vote for me. What if it, you got to make your own determination. I want to be, and I've never said what I'm about to say publicly because I'm about to say something that you may wonder. I have been a Republican, registered Republican all my adult life. These are things I never say from here for good reason, but I need to, I need to make this exception. I voted for a conservative Republican platform. I said to you last week, more than ever, and beloved, we're gonna pursue this because I've already gotten the message. What's gonna happen to aborted babies? Watch my lips. Because the church hasn't been able to carry out some action of redemption toward aborted babies through our vote, oh, all hope is lost. It is not. I want to pledge to you as much as I can and put a date on it 
Within the next six to nine months, some way or another, I'm already working with someone. New Hope is either going to be directly connected to or we're going to have right here our own adoption agency to give abortion, to give them an option. The church hasn't lost its option. We just want to shove the responsibility of redemption onto the steps of the White House. We're called to care for the poor, meet the needs of the hurting. Rescue those who trapped in injustice, and we will be those people. If the government still allows abortion to happen, we'll provide a redemptive opportunity to say to a mother that's caught in whatever, whatever system of logic she has had to use to come to the conclusion that I'm going to uh, relinquish or extinguish the life of this baby, to stand up and say, we have an option for you. We have an option for you. We will not only encourage you and help you through this process, but we got a long line of people that want a baby, that are looking for a baby. The church needs to be that remnant. Okay, I gotta be careful. I told myself over and over, there's any of about five points we could be here real long about. Everybody get what I just said? If you did, say amen and I'll move on. Okay, good. I think that was an amen out of fear more than anything else. Verse 20, back to the scripture, Amanda, please. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that, which is good. The, um, the word examine is from, the, here's another original word, doikimazo from doikimas. You want to know, let me read something to you from a renowned theologian, Donald Barthouse, Barnhouse. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today. No paper money. All money was made from metal, heated until liquid poured into molds and allowed to cool. When the coins were cooled, it was necessary to smooth off the uneven edges. The coins were comparatively soft, and of course, many people shaved them closely. In one century, more than 80 laws were passed in the Greco city, say Athens, to stop the practice of shaving down coins then, in, then in circulation. But some money changers were men of integrity who would accept no counterfeit money. They were men of honor, who put genuine, full-weighted, everybody say full-weighted, full-weighted money into circulation. Such men were called doikimos, or examined or approved. I am sick and tired of would-be prophets handing us shaved coins. Watch this. Just the, 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 the reason we do languages is because they're so important and the English doesn't often get them across. This doiki mazo, doiki mas comes from dokeo, and that means to believe or think, or how I shape or come to a conclusion. I am irritated by those who are leveraging fear to move us to a point of influencing what we believe and how we come to a conclusion. I am not gonna be a part of handing out a shaved coin or counterfeit currency of faith that says this to you. Because the election went one way, oh my, 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 the sky is falling. I have no doubt that under an, this, an alternate platform that things are gonna happen that I don't like, or maybe in clear uh, adversity against values and principles of the kingdom of God. But beloved American Western Christians are spoiled rotten. 
We read the book of Revelation and say the tribulation is coming. Did you know we're the only people that thinks the tribulation is out there somewhere? Go anywhere in the rest of the world. Go to the Middle East or China. They're living in it right now. Things described right there in the book of Revelation. But for us, oh no, it's out there. And surely we're not going to go through it. And oh my goodness, the sky is falling. The election went the wrong way. I, this is no act. I wore my little t-shirt on purpose. Okay, let me go on to some scripture here that I think you may enjoy. Well, I got to skip one. <laughs> God, my page is messed up here. Let's just do this. First Peter chapter 2. We'll start worshiping and rejoicing a little bit. First Peter chapter 2 is living in desperate times. Peter was writing. Nero was the emperor. And if you go and read the story of Nero and his, you'll find out that he made whatever your estimation may be of a political party, a particular political party. And here's what I'm reading. You know, the Democrats are this entirely evil political party that does this. Whether that's true or not, can I tell you that Peter was writing in a time where Nero was emperor and whatever party may do anything in this day and age, Nero made them look like saints. That's where the Bible was written. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to start early on and go through the passages. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. By the way, did you see that? A holy nation, okay? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All the earth will shout your praise. For you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. For once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I am special. And it's not because I'm a part of the United States nation. It's because I'm a part of a holy nation. Who serves a God, and we've sung it and declared it, who has not moved. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which can wage war against the soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe him, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, submit yourself to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether Republican, de Democrat, or whether it's President Trump or President Biden. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? Okay. Uh, uh, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors sent by him for the punishment of ev evildoers and, and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. I won't comment there. I, I think I've said enough about that. <clears throat> Act as free men. How many know this was written at a time when there was no democracy, there was no power to vote, there was no constitutional monarchy. There was no nothing but remote. It was by uh, emperor, king, ruler, autocrats, okay? Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Oh, my. But use it as bond slave. Verse 17, here it goes. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Wait a minute. That's a typo. Let me fix that. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear the king, and honor God. Look at the screen. That is not what it says, but it's how many of us are living right now. We fear the king and honor God. God said, don't get that part backwards. Honor the king, whoever the king is. Do you understand that Paul, Peter is writing about the guy who likely had him killed, crucified upside down, if history tells us anything? He's writing those words about that guy. Fear God, 
Honor the king. All right, let, let, let's keep. Well, I think that's enough said about that. But Peter is not done writing. I'm cutting to chase, believe it or not. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Here we go. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. Does everybody know that fear is infectious? Do you know the Greek word there when it says fear their intimidation? It's the identical term twice. It's phobos iphobos. Don't fear their fear. Do you know people who use fear are driven by it? Do you know those who would move you? By the way, that whole doikimas, doikimazo is, is, a, is a, a, a principle I've held on to in worship, by the way. And let me give you an example of how that sort of false prophet or false spirit manipulation comes in. I grew up in classical Pentecostalism where the test and the banner of Pentecostalism in a worship service is that you sing, um, give me a, a 120 beats a minute and that key will be fine. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. That's the song you sing. He healed my body. Great words. And then you get people revved up at 120 beats a minute, call them down front and push them down on the floor and tell them it was God. I had an international evangelist come that we had come to the church we previous pastored, and he called people down front. He was affiliated with one, he was an assistant to one that everyone in the room would know his name. Came to our church to speak, and when he started praying for people, he said, Pastor, go pray at the other end. So we started working, and he saw, now he, as he was praying for people, everybody fell on the floor. Whether it was God or not, I can give my opinions, but I went down praying for people. I have prayed for people, and they have fallen under the power of the Holy Spirit. But please understand me, that the greatest test of God's power is not that he's able to push a human on the floor, but that he's able to empower that human to stand up and walk righteously. Because the power of God is not expressed in my falling down. It's expressed in my taking a stand and walking and taking steps forward. So I have long determined that I'm not going to give out shaved coins at an altar call or in a worship service. Every moment of one of these worship services, you know, as you sense what might be God moving in, I, in my mind, Lord, I believe you're enthroned on our praises, but I want to know two things. Lord, I want to know that this is you directing and not just Tom's hunger for worship and hanging out in your presence and that I'm not imposing my own passion on the people that are sitting there. And any worship leader I've worked, Pastor Rhea, that we've worked with through the, that, through the years, that has been a primary value. We're not going to take people a place emotionally that the Spirit doesn't provide us substantively because what happens when you get to the destination is when you walk out this door 30 minutes from now and adrenaline wears off and the emotions are gone, it's all over. But if it's the spirit of God, not only 30 minutes from now, but tonight when you go to bed and tomorrow morning when you wake up, there's going to be the residue of glory around you and you're going to say something happened to me yesterday that didn't wash off in the shower I took last night or this morning. That's why we do what we do here. So see, that, that word doikimos is not, a, is not a new one for me. It's a commitment I've had. But in recent days, as would-be prophets step up and say these things, watch, watch this. Do not, uh, by the way, I'll come back and read First Peter. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 8. Watch this. Verses you may not even know were in the Bible. Isaiah the prophet speaking about 800 years before Peter would write. 
Verse 11, for thus says the Lord, spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. What is the way of the people? I want to give you Isaiah's word and tell you that personally, I'm going to own them. I'm not going to walk in the way of this people. What people? Watch. You are not to say, it's a conspiracy. That's, I didn't make that up. Look, it's on the screen. It's a conspiracy in regard to all that people call a conspiracy. And here's the phrase. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Let's keep reading. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And, it is, and he shall be your fear. And he's saying it tongue in cheek, sort of uh, hyperbolically, if you will. If you're going to fear something, here's something good to fear. Because this is really something and a force that can do something one way or the other. And he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. Well, let's go back to 1 Peter because it's 1 Peter is quoting Isaiah. But even if you should suffer, here it goes, watch, for the sake of righteousness. Wait a minute. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, how many know that's a verse we need some white out for? See, because we're triumphalists, Western Americans. We serve the Lion of Judah, bless God. Where do we get that? He's the guy that shows up before the throne of God, the Lion of Judah. Problem is, the Lion of Judah only shows up one time in the book of Revelation describing the Lamb of God, and that phrase is used 35 times. See, we don't like that. What are you talking about, Pastor? I didn't get that far in our Revelation study, but let me give you just a preview. We love the Lion of Judah. He roars. But what everyone seems to miss entirely is the way that the Lion of Judah roars and operates is as a bloody, dying lamb willing to die on the cross and purchase your salvation. This verse... Even if we should suffer for righteousness, and Peter would go on in another place to say, uh, uh, you need to understand that that's just the path that Christ... Matter of fact, uh, earlier on in it, it says, if you do what is wrong and you suffer for it, who cares? You should. But if you do what is right and you suffer for it, this finds charis, grace, a release of grace. A force of grace. Release. Okay, back to the scripture I was reading. I, I, I knew we'd have problems here today. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Look at the person next to you and said, however, the, however this election turns out, you're blessed. Tell them that. Tell them that and mean it. And if it doesn't look like they mean it, look back at them and say, you didn't mean that. Okay, here we go. Now, verse 15, we've studied this concept of sanctification. That's big in the denomination and, and Pentecostal holiness persuasion. Sanctification. But I've told you before in some of our little bit deeper Bible studies that the word for righteousness and the word for holy doesn't have a verb form. So when righteousness needs a verb form, righteousness is you are justified. Holy is you're sanctified. But I've told you in reading your Bible, especially in the New Testament, uh, when it says uh, you've, been made, you've been justified, just for the fun of it, stick the word in there, you've been righteousized. Well, sanctified is the other one. Whenever you come across sanctified, let me give you my substitution word. Here we go. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their fear and do not be troubled. But holy eyes, 
Christ is Lord in your heart. Now, why is that important? Everyone watch me. We've hung out for 18 years, and I've worn you out on holy because everything starts with holy. If God's not holy, God can't love. You see, God describes himself intrinsically and existentially in two terms, holy and love. And what you find out is that holy is love expressed in love. Excuse me. Holy is the substance of love, and love is the expression of holy. You can't separate a God who is holy and complete. Listen to this definition. I know it's wordy, but the old Hebrew term from Harris's theological word book of the Old Testament says this. Holy is the term that describes the intrinsic sphere of the divine. A God who is free from moral decay and human imperfection. Thus, he is complete, lacking nothing. God still is lacking nothing the day after the vote. God is still the endless, limitless resource of redemption to this planet, not the Republican or Democratic Party. God is still that source. We are his people. We're part of a holyized nation. We are a holyized people of God. Sanctify, holyized Christ the Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account. Here it comes. Verse 15. For the hope, for the hope that is in you, yet with passion and ugliness, posting on Facebook regularly about the impending looming tragedy and using guilt and manipulation for Christian people that didn't vote the way you wanted them to vote. Stop it. I want to look into the case. Stop it. What you do when that happens is you trade the limitless power of God for the limited resource of political government and kingdoms that will rise and fall. We're not that people. We're not that here. It won't be celebrated here. We're going to stand up unabashedly, and when we ever do determine who is actually the president, usually the Sunday after, we're going to pray for them because we just read the verse. It says, pray for those who are in authority. Fear God, honor the king. And we will pray for them. Well, I'm not praying for that Joe Biden. You're right. You wouldn't want the Holy Spirit to be nudging, poking, prodding, moving him in any way of righteousness. Because after all, give me the stupidness of that. Forgive me. I'm, I'm being more forward than I've ever been. I'm sick and tired of believers, children of God, who are selling the full, you know another term used the full weight? Where are you, Johnny? Where are you? What does kebab mean? Take your mask off and scream at me. Do you know, you, you, didn't you talk to me about it? What? The weight of God. He wrote me about that. The weight of God. Here's the deal. I wish I had a corner. I should have taken a quarter. I thought about it and taken it on my little bench grinder and, and filing it down. But then if I held it up, I think that's actually a federal crime, isn't it? <clears throat> that's all right. I am not going to hand you a shaved coin short of the full weight of the possibilities and the glory of God. I will not, I will not, because it is the glory of God that at the end of the day has the final word, the final say, and we run away from that and we're why? Because we're sucked in by the fear of those who are promoting fear. 
Do not fear what they fear. Fear is infectious. Just last night, I had the wonderful opportunity just to have a couple people over and we just prayed for the power uh, of fear to be smashed and broken. And yet we turn in this situation and we live in the grip of it. What you've experienced here this morning is real. Worship team, come on out. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Okay, let me just say one more thing, then we'll quit. Ezekiel 37. Around verse 4, I think. He brings the prophet out to a valley of dry bones. See, some of us have a dry bone mentality today. Oh, the election's gone bad and it's hopeless and God is afar. We're forever destitute. You say, you're just being cute and trite. I'm not being cute and trite. I'm, I am being angry. You say, well, you're not supposed to be angry. Uh, I trust that, that this is be angry and sin not. I don't think I've sinned. I think with the passion of a prophet, I've come to you today and say, quit accepting shaved coins. Quit accepting counterfeit money because it won't spend, it won't work. You can get a big pile of it, then go try and spend it, and it won't work. It doesn't purchase what you think it's gonna purchase, and we're being dictated to by fear mongers that are given unexamined counterfeit currency of faith that leaves us short of the full weight of the glory of God in a moment. We're gonna be those people that invite the full weight of the glory of God and say we're not a counterfeit people, we don't serve a counterfeit God. We don't have a counterfeit Holy Spirit. We're those people. He brings them out to the Valley of Dry Bones and he says, what do you see? I've always made the joke through the years that I believe that, uh, uh, oh, you got that. Amanda, you're amazing because I didn't give her that verse of scripture, okay? He says, uh, he said, um, back up a couple verses. I think this is funny because it describes us right now. Let's back up and let's see. Uh, keep going back. Oh, no, no, right there it was, okay? The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me, uh, set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Can you just get that scene, okay? He caused me to pass among them around about, and behold, there were many, many, there were many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry, bleached, dry, sun-scorched, okay? This has some really powerful overtones within uh, the Jewish mindset. And he said to me, uh, son of man, can these bones live? Now, how many know? <laughs> I love this, because I've said for 20 years, I, I'm, I think Ezekiel may have wondered if these were all the other people that had been brought there to answer that question. And it's like, okay, this isn't a good scenario. So, um, uh, can these bones, um, uh, you know, Lord. How <laughs> I many know that's always a good response? When God starts probing our heart, go, yeah, Lord, you know, okay. And what God knows, he shares, verse four. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, Say to them, everybody say this, say to them. Uh, Amanda, I think it's verse 11. Let's jump ahead because verse four informs verse 11 and I think. Okay, then he said to me, he describes what they are. Son of man, these bones, everybody say these bones. Come on. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, everybody say, they say. Who is they? The bones. The bones are speaking in verse 11. They didn't just start speaking. I said last time we went through it, the wind chimes of hell. 
echoes of failure and irreversible situations. They didn't die recently. They were bleached, dry, nothing on them. And he said, behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. So get this, get this, get this. The, the, the sort of the, what should I say, the literary chronology of this passage of scripture. When he's speaking in verse four, the bones are still speaking, if you will. They're back in there. It's horrible. It's over. The wrong president got voted in. Or, or whatever you want to fill in the blank. That child you're praying for, he's never going to, she's never going to come back. He's never going to serve God. That's what the bones say. The bones are speaking. So, so let's go back. Now remember, the bones are speaking. Verse four, Amanda, please. Son of, uh, prophesy over these bones and say to them, hear the word of the Lord. Can I give you Pastor Tom's adapted understanding of the tension between verse 4 and 11? Hear me. The bones are speaking. The implication is, Ezekiel, you're done listening. It's time for you to speak. It's time for you to quit listening to the echoes of the bones and speak the word of the Lord. Because when you quit listening to what the bones say and speak the word of the Lord, something happens. And so he spoke to them. And when he did, you can see it said they begin to rattle. And they begin to rattle and they came together and there was sinew and there were tendons and muscle. And then they became a mighty army. Watch this. When we quit listening to the bones and speak to them instead... God says, I'm going to take the evidence and echo of your worst nightmare and transform it into an army of overcoming. He said, and the bones became a mighty army. See, that, that's the equity that we live off of. Do not accept the shaved coins. God has not lost control. It doesn't mean things won't be difficult, but it doesn't remove the church of Jesus Christ from the power or capacity to act and live redemptively in this world. And we're going to find... I don't know that I would have been moved on as much as I should to do this first step of, a, of an adoption thing, to just take one step if I hadn't had the realization that, wait a minute, I begin to see and think, okay, this may not go the way that I think it's going. Now, I could preach a whole other lengthy sermon there about how God used negatively polarized social and circumstantial situations to move the people of God to acting in a point of righteousness. But whatever the cause, whoever finally ends up after whatever count is done or not done, we're going to do and live redemptively because... For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Come on, stand your feet. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.